the death toll and the number of injured from the Hamas-Israel war surged to 3,800 less than a week after the Palestinian Hamas militant group surprise attack. It had left more than 1,300 Israelis dead, the most Jewish people murdered in one day since the Holocaust. So the big questions are complex but worth looking at. What's behind the unprecedented scale of their deadly clashes and is there an end to the long-standing dispute? To help us better navigate through the complexity of the decades-old conflict, we're now joined by Professor Michael Barnett, a professor of international affairs and political science at George Washington University. He joins us via Zoom. Thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Barnett. My pleasure. Uh, just trying to do research on today's interview, it, it was overwhelming to say the least, and I think that's a general consensus for someone who hasn't been keeping up with the story. Uh, for decades, Western media and world leaders, even academics, have described the Israeli-Palestinian conflict as complicated, deadlocked, and intractable. The complexity may be why it seems that not many really understand how far back or how fundamentally deep this dispute goes. Can you give us a rough outline of the major historical events surrounding the political landscape and the territorial boundaries for Palestine? Well, um, I guess the very abbreviated history would be we'd have to go back a century, uh, actually a little more than a century, when you began to have Jews coming from Europe and Russia uh, beginning to immigrate to what was then Palestine, uh, which was controlled by the Ottoman Empire. After World War I, Britain took on the mandate with a mission to try to bring both Palestinians and Jews into one homeland, if that was possible. It proved to be impossible. Uh, in 1947, the British withdrew and, and threw this complex morass into the lap of the United Nations. Uh, the UN decided that it would essentially split the Palestine mandate into two uh, pieces. There would be a Jewish state alongside a Palestinian state. Uh, the Arabs, uh, Arab neighbors didn't quite accept that resolution. Uh, they invaded Israel, counterattacked, and then you have the what are called the pre-67 lines uh, of the state of Israel. Without Jerusalem, which was supposed to have been internationalized, and the West Bank, which Jordan annexed. Um, and, and there you have it. Until 1967, when another war occurs, uh, in which Israel captures Jerusalem, the West Bank, the Golan Heights, the Sinai Peninsula, uh, it's Israel returns the Sinai to Egypt for the Camp David peace treaty, uh, and it continues to hold on to the other territories and begins settlements uh, where Jewish settlers now begin to reside in growing numbers. Uh, the next big change became, you know, which were the her much heralded Oslo uh, Accords, uh, which were ostensibly designed to create a set of principles for which there would be a final resolution to the conflict. Um, we know this doesn't end happily, um, that any movement towards a two-state solution was just blocked. Uh, there's too much blame to go around to begin to, you know, try and assess this. Uh, but in the current circumstances, has been that Israel now 
essentially controls and dominates all of the West Bank. There's very little hope for a separate Palestinian state. Uh, Gaza, meanwhile, which is separated from the West Bank, uh, is its own set of headaches for the Israelis. Um, the Gazans are essentially locked into an open-air prison. That's what's uh, been done. Right. Yeah, and, uh, and then in 2005, when Israel decides to withdraw from Gaza, uh, a unilateral disengagement, Hamas takes over, and now you begin to have a horrible cycle of attacks, counterattacks, provocations, more provocations, until now we have last week this incredibly sad day uh, where Hamas, you know, I don't think there's any other word for it, um, simply engages in various kinds of crimes against humanity, mm. uh, against against. Israeli civilians. Mm. Uh, and now Israel has said that we're not going to go back to the status quo of a ceasefire. We're going to get rid of Hamas once and for all, which will be an incredibly bloody affair. It'll be costly on civilian lives. And just to be clear, as we've highlighted on the program before, too, Hamas doesn't speak for the entirety of Palestinians. Uh, there's, of course, Fatah, the political group that runs West Bank. But from what I understand, it is tough to uh, go from living in West Bank to, well, actually, from going from Gaza Strip to West Bank, for example. There are yeah, separate ideas. Yeah, there's no mobility. Okay. Uh, you know, there's the possibility for some Gazans to go work in Israel. Uh, those who live in the West Bank can also go work in Israel if they've got the permits. Mm. Uh, but both populations are kind of in a lockdown. Mm. Um, the Palestinian Authority, which was inaugurated with the Oslo Accords, uh, dominated by the PLO and the PLO dominated by Fatah, mm. uh, has turned into basically a corrupt regime that routinely violates the human rights of, of Palestinians. And the same for Hamas and Gaza. Mm. Uh, the, these are brutal, uh, brutal regimes um, that at least for Israel and the West Bank, one can argue that the Palestinian Authority essentially mm. does nothing but, you know, do the bidding for for Israel. Mm. Uh, Dr. Barnett, uh, Palestine and Israel have been holding peace talks or at least attempting to uh, for more than 25 years uh, with really no avail. What are the most contentious issues still lying at the heart of these deadly clashes? Well, the the... You know, and they've been Oslo is was is now thirty years old, uh, so it's just you know it's, but the Oslo process, whatever it was, has been dead for quite a long time. Uh, the major issues have to do with uh, assuming there will be an independent Palestinian state. What are its borders? Will it be demilitarized? Uh, to what extent will Israel have control? Uh, which they insist they will need for their own security. Uh, there's the question of Jerusalem, uh, which Israel has declared will be unified forever. Uh, there are also the very contentious issues of refugee return yeah. with the Palestinians, uh, the Palestinian Authority demanding that 
Palestinians should be allowed to return their homes that they occupy before 67 in Israel. And the Israelis saying, no way. Uh, and so there was never really much, you know, especially since, you know, 2001, there's been very little that resembles a peace process. Obama tried, Trump, I think, kind of tried, but it's not clear. Uh, and it all came to not. Meanwhile, um, sentiments harden on both sides. Uh, and so whatever the hope was that Oslo would produce some degree of trust mm -hmm. between Palestinians and Israelis. But in fact, with settlements, with Jewish settlers, which are tantamount to terrorists, uh, with checkpoints uh, and, you know, the provision of access roads, um, you know, there, there's there's so much suspicion between both sides uh, that they're, they're in a stalemate. And, and I think that what happened last Saturday is only going to harden the hearts of everybody. It's 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 almost impossible for me to imagine that um, it will have any other outcome. Uh, Dr. Barnett, when we say Israeli-Palestinian conflict, it almost sounds like there are two sides, but in reality, it's way more complicated than that. So we want to also direct our listeners' attention to Iran's involvement in the region. So Iran has denied its involvement, but some reports actually suggest that the country has helped Hamas plot the incursion into Israel that was carried out into scale and sophistication that is otherwise unthinkable. So without Iran's help, was this possible? What are your thoughts on this? And why did the attack come over this weekend? Yeah, you know, everybody's trying to sort this out. And, you know, it'll take a while before anybody in Hamas uh, talks for sure. Uh, but there, there's an incredible amount of speculation. For, for First, this took a lot of planning. This was not something that was done on the fly. This took months. Uh, and it was a fairly sophisticated and coordinated operation. Uh, is, Iran has been funneling weapons and intelligence to Hamas. Uh, most evidence suggests that Iran was as surprised by the attack, at least the timing, as, as was everybody else. So probably didn't have direct involvement, but then again, may have been involved in planning uh, in some capacity. Iran also is the primary supporter for Hezbollah, which is to the north of Israel in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. So Iran's, you know, has played a, a, a certainly a key role in, you know, in, in, in fomenting uh, the kind of violence uh, that we we have seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Barnett, some label Hamas as, actually it seems that many in uh, the West and, of course, Israelis label Hamas as terrorists, while some call them freedom fighters. As you can see, there's a big discrepancy there. Hamas is considered a terrorist organization by Israel, the U.S., European Union, and many other countries. What is your take on this divide? Are they more terrorists or more freedom fighters? Well, you know, everybody gets to have their opinion on this one, uh, and it will probably not be settled in part because one person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist. And, you know, the Palestinians do have the right of resistance. 
uh, Hamas has the right to resist as well. Uh, but there are rules for this. Uh, there are, you know, from international humanitarian law and, and basic norms that govern how wars can be fought. Uh, Hamas doesn't play by those rules. Uh, it is made clear in the past that it doesn't respect, nor will it abide by international humanitarian law. It treats all Israelis as if they are fair game. They don't make a distinction between civilian and soldier. And I'm sure in their own minds, they were quite justified with these brutal attacks. Uh, from my vantage point, it's, it's, it, it's quite clear that organizations that deliberately target citizens, it, you know, civilians, in the hopes of striking terror, mm. that have no real military value, mm. Uh, may not be terrorist organizations, but they certainly act like one. Uh, they're practicing terrorism in no, you know, in no other terms. And so, you know, it's it's difficult to walk away, especially from what we've seen mm -hmm. last Saturday, as concluding anything but Hamas, again, may not have a uniform that says terrorist organization, mm -hmm. but it hasn't shown much interest in attacking Israeli soldiers mm. or what can be seen as legitimate targets. Mm. And frankly speaking, Hamas does not stand a chance against the Israeli military, which might be part of the strategy to suddenly attack civilians, kidnap and even behead some of the captured. Yeah, that's, you know, so right now there's a lot of speculation that what Hamas wants is an overreaction. Uh, that they want to bring attention to Gaza, mm -hmm. that they want to make sure that in the competition for political authority with uh, the Palestinian Authority, that you know they don't forget Hamas. And this goes back to your previous question about the timing uh, and and sort of what you know what what prompted this now. And again, there's the. Saudi-Israeli-U.S. negotiations for a possible peace deal, mm. uh, which Hamas rejects. And um, and as a consequence, it carries out these very brutal attacks, uh, hoping to derail what's taking place, uh, send a message that there will not be any peace without Hamas uh, or with the neglect of the Palestinians, and perhaps begging the Israelis to come in for a ground war, mm. uh, which will be incredibly brutal. Uh, and, and, and knowing that all, all well. Uh, you've co-authored a book titled The One State Reality, What is Israel-Palestine? That was published earlier this year. The book calls for a shift from Washington's two-state solution to other alternatives. What other alternative options do we have to end the clashes and go about having peace talks while accepting the one-state reality in the region? Well, the one-state reality is not a solution. Okay. Uh, all four of us who, who wrote the book and uh, co-authored the article in Foreign Affairs, we're all proponents of a two-state solution. Uh, and so it doesn't give us a lot of pleasure to say that two-state solution is over. Uh, but instead, what we wanted to do was call attention to the fact that the two-state solution has been a little bit of 
a um, of a shell game, and that Israel has been able to engage in creeping annexation while still saying, oh, but we still care about the two-state solution. And so by the end of the day, right now, there is no uh, possibility of a two-state solution. No one's talking about it anymore. And there are no negotiations. And Israel, for all intents and purposes now, ha- it is a one state from the Mediterranean to the Jordan. Uh, the consequence, though, is that it is a one state, and then the question is, what kind of state is it? Uh, where you have basically, you know, 50% of the population without any real rights. Mm. Uh, and so the Palestinians don't even have the rights that they should have under occupation law, refugee law, international human rights law. And the conclusion for many people these days is that what Israel has become is not a democracy, uh, but rather it's closer to apartheid mm. uh, and authoritarianism than than anyone would have hoped. Mm. The U.S. has successfully brokered the Abraham Accord three years ago. It marked a significant breakthrough in the normalization relations between Israel and Arab countries. How would the latest Hamas assault impact the accords and, more importantly, the stability in the Middle East? Well, I think the the impact will depend in part on how Israel responds. Okay. Uh, and so... You know, while there's a lot of sympathy right now in certain parts of the world for Israel, uh, given given the brutality of Hamas's attack, uh, that in the past has proved to be as long lasting as, um, you know, it, or let's say this, it dissipates as the war goes on and there are more Palestinian civilian casualties. Mm. So, you know, we have a situation then in which uh it, it's quite likely that as israel lashes out uh and there's more palestinian deaths it's going to be more difficult for those who are you know signatories of the abraham accords to do anything more than just keep the treaties in place but have nothing that looks like you know the beginning of a vibrant set of relations uh this likely, you know, Hamas was probably trying to destabilize uh, any relationship between Iraq, between Saudi Arabia and Israel and the U.S., and no doubt it succeeded. Mm. Uh, there's, it will be very difficult for Saudi Arabia to continue these negotiations with Israel while Israel is demolishing Gaza. Mm. There have been some reports suggesting that uh, Israel military might start using white phosphorus munitions. Wouldn't that be a gross violation of human rights protection? Well, it's it, it would certainly, depending on how they use it, okay. uh, would be a violation of of the laws of war. Mm. Um, you know, in the past, Israel has used cluster bombs, which also are not formally outlawed, but pretty dang close to being outlawed mm-hmm. um, right now. And this is this is very worrisome. Uh, in the past, Israel has pledged to uh, do its utmost to limit uh, civilian casualties. Right. Uh, it's made no such promise this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is reminiscent of Vice President Cheney 
after 9-11 when he said the gloves are off. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Israelis want revenge. Uh, and they also want to end Hamas. And so the only way they can do that is conduct a war campaign that really puts aside international humanitarian law in favor of what they will call military necessity. Uh, Dr. Bernard, in light of that, Israel vowed to commence a full offensive in its ground campaign into Gaza. How would the Israel-Hamas war unfold in the coming weeks? You know, it's going to be complicated for sure. Um, I'm not privy to the Israeli Defense Forces plans, and apparently the president of Israel isn't either. Um, and uh, but you know, it'll depend on whether it's a, you know, it's a it's a full blown assault, whether it's going block by block or taking about taking apart some cities in Gaza and leaving others, whether it's uh, they're going to hope to soften up everything by an aerial campaign that essentially demolishes to rubble, which they're already doing a lot of buildings, um, you know, and, and, you know, I think there needs to be, and this is where I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat disappointed, I guess, um, more consideration about how it is you're supposed to protect Palestinian lives who are as innocent as the young Israelis in, in, you know, that were kidnapped and killed uh, by, by Hamas. Mm. I mean, they're happy. And, and this is the really sad thing is that there's been demoral, there's been dehumanization of the other on both sides. Mm. And once you dehumanize you know, it, it really makes possible for all kinds of violence that you would never do to somebody that you saw as a human being. Thank you very much, Dr. Barnett, for your insights. We appreciate it. Thank you. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.